audio is from Deering Christian Church. Join us Sunday mornings at either 9 or 10.30 a.m. I get asked sometimes, um, occasionally, not all the time, but occasionally I get asked why, why I talk about sports some on Sunday mornings. Well, there's a reason for that. For one thing, I am a sports fan, but another reason for that is it's biblical, okay? It is. Paul, from, you can tell from his writings in the New Testament that he was a sports fan. He was. Now, I don't know if Paul was an athlete. He says himself in his second letter to the church in Corinth that people said when they saw him, he was not impressive, okay? But that doesn't mean you cannot be athletic, all right? So, uh, but I do know that he very, very much liked sports. And some things about sports have changed majorly in 2,000 years. I don't know about you, but for me personally, I'm very glad that in 2,000 years, they began the practice of athletes competing while they are clothed, okay? Because in the first century, it was just men athletes, and they, they, they competed without a stitch of clothing on, okay? I don't, I don't think I would probably tune in to the NFL Super Bowl even if those fellows were out there running around without anything on. I mean, I'd maybe listen to it on the radio, but that's, that's about as far as it's going to get, okay? So I'm glad that's changed, but there are some things that haven't. And one of those is there still are, now we call them coaches, there are still trainers, there are still mentors. And I'm going to tell you something, now don't do it now, but if you were to go to, to, to Google or to Bing or something and type in, you could type in NFL, NBA, NHL, um, collegiate sports, any, any of the spectrum, okay? If you were to type in highest paid coaches, some of you in this room would not be surprised at all by what you would find. And some of you would be absolutely astounded at how much these people are getting paid. Uh, I mean, it is crazy. Now, most of the time, now not always, but most of the time, what these coaches are getting paid correlates with their record, with the results, all right? Now, that doesn't always work that way, but sometimes it does. Now, um, let's just for a moment stick with collegiate type of coaches. Um, there are some coaches out there that are just really, really good recruiters. I believe it was the old, oh, you coach, perfect timing, JV. Old Switzer, wasn't it old Switzer? He said, it's not the X's and the O's, it's the what? The Jimmy's and the Joe's, all right? It's the team that's got the best athletes out there that's going to win. So some coaches are really, really good recruiters, but you know what? The best coaches, the best coaches know how to get the best out of their athletes. And this is done in a variety of ways. Personally, I think the coaches that are the best are the ones that do demand respect from the players, but yet at the same time, they have got a very good ability, skill, to get on the level with the players and build relationship with them. And this gives them the opportunity to encourage their athletes. To encourage them specifically to give just a little more. It's the fourth quarter. It's the last down. Whatever it might be. Just give me a little bit more right here. And it will be so, so worth it. Now the Apostle Paul, as he, was, he was a five-star recruit. All right? I mean, he was a star. Okay? I mean, his results speak for themselves. This guy was a warrior for the Lord. As I told you, he also happened to be quite knowledgeable of the sporting world, and he was a fan of it. So I think that fits well with what we're looking at today. Now, 
Clint, go ahead and pull up um, that map. This map right here is the second missionary journey of Paul. We have three of those recorded in the book of Acts. We're actually not that far away from the third one starting. Um, geographically speaking, we're getting a little bit closer to the end of this particular journey. Chronologically speaking, there's still about a year, as we'll see, still about a year and a half of it left. But Paul, where we left him, now last week we took a little bit of a break from Acts for Christmas Sunday, okay, and, um, but we're back in it. So two weeks ago, Paul was on vacation, and Paul, even on vacation, has got to preach the gospel. I mean, that's just what he does. It doesn't matter where he's at, it doesn't matter what he's doing, he's going to preach the gospel. So he was there in Athens, you see right there, which is still in our world today, um, he was there preaching the gospel, got done there, um, vacation's over, and he decides to make his way over to Corinth. There's kind of a land bridge right there. It's about a 50-mile journey um, by land from Athens to Corinth. Now, as he makes his way over there, these 50 miles, kind of to the southwest, across this land bridge, speaking of, of athletics and rivals, Athens' main rival, um, culturally speaking, as well as metropolitan, metropolitan, Metropop. City speaking? Let's just go with that. Metropolisly? I don't even know that's a word. Anyway, their rival was Athens. Athens' rival was Corinth. So he travels over there about 50 miles or so. And as he gets there, he travels across this, and this land bridge is still there today. And, um, and it, it connects Peloponnese with modern northern Greece. Um, most of your trade cities within the Roman Empire were obviously close to seas, and they would have one port. Corinth had two, because where they are strategically located, they didn't have one, but they had two ports. You got the Lycaean port, which connected them to the western Mediterranean Sea. You got the Sincrean port, which connected them not only to the eastern Mediterranean Sea, but also the Black Sea. This had set up Corinth for centuries for success. Okay, now, in the history of any city, you see that it's not always the best, okay? There's times that are tough. And in 146 BC, now Rome is up and going strong by this point in time, okay? And, and Corinth got a little big for the britches and they decided they were going to revolt against Rome. And in 146 BC, Corinth was leveled, absolutely leveled by Rome. 100 years later, a guy you might have heard of by the name of, of Julius Caesar saw the potential here and he rebuilt Corinth. Not only did he rebuild it, he gave it the status of a Roman colony. A few years later, in 27 BC, it became the capital of the Roman province of Achaia. There, so this is an incredibly, incredibly important place. It did not take Corinth long to climb and to ascend this ladder of prosperity. Corinth was a proud people, proud of their history. And this is going to sound really familiar to a lot of you who come to Wednesday night class because we just wrapped up 1 Corinthians and then a week from Wednesday we're jumping into 2 Corinthians. So some of you know Corinth quite well, all right? And these people were proud of their heritage. They were proud of their city. They were proud of their prosperity, all right? Um, so they regained this reputation. Now let me tell you something else they regained. They regained another reputation as well. Corinth was also just happened to be the place, the center in the known world, where they worshipped the goddess Aphrodite, okay? And that kind of played a little bit of a role here. Corinth also regained the reputation for a level of sexual immorality that was remarkable even in those kind of dark ages when it came to that part of the world and that aspect of life. Um, as a matter of fact, in that part of the world, 
fornication, which fornication is basically sexual relationship outside the bonds of marriage, all right? And it can go a variety of different places. And fornication in that part of the world was given this name, act like a Corinthian. That's what it was called, okay? Um, this, this would be a thorn in the side of this young church for a number of years. And you can read about that in First and Second Corinthians, okay? So there is, when Paul saw this city, and he saw this proud people, and this was a big city, folks. I mean, prosperous. When he saw this city, he saw potential. He saw potential, and he would spend 18 months. Now, for Paul on a missionary journey, that is a big deal. He does not typically spend that kind of time in one place. But he spent 18 months preaching the gospel in this city. And let me tell you something. There were times in that 18 months he needed encouragement. We, we tend to take Paul and put him on this pedestal, forgetting that he was very much, yes, a servant of God. He's very much human, very much fallible. He did make mistakes. He did at times let his his fear get the best of him. All right? And there were times there that he needed encouragement. As we're going to see through this passage today that he got some shots of encouragement that were absolutely incredible. You know, it doesn't take long watching any type of sporting event. All right? There's been a lot of them lately. It doesn't take long whether you're watching them live or you're watching them on TV Maybe kind of listen to him on radio. It doesn't take long to realize the difference between a collection of athletes on one hand and a team. Okay? There's a big difference between those things. Sometimes this collection of athletes can even be more talented, but the team takes them down. I know a lot of you in this room have coached, and you know exactly what I'm talking about. And the significance and the importance of taking these players that are under your, under your arm for a little while and turning them into a team. A team is important for a lot of different things. Let's take a look at it. Verses, verse 3 verses. 1 Corinthians 18. It says, After these things, he, Paul, left Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, having recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius, he's the emperor at the time, had commanded all Jews to leave Rome. He came to them, and because he was of the same trade, he, Paul, stayed with them, and they were working, for by trade they were tent makers. So right here in Acts, and we will hear more about this kind of super couple, all right? This couple of, of Aquila and Priscilla, most times we hear about them. Um, it's Priscilla and Aquila, this kind of husband-wife, wife-husband team. Um, there are those who believe that this woman, in, in, the, in the worldly side of things, had a higher social status, maybe even a royal connection to the family of Prisca. And maybe that's why her name was first. Regardless, this, this was a very important couple in our New Testament. And they had been expelled from the capital of Rome. I know it's kind of confusing because the, the empire of Rome also has the capital by the same name. So when it says they are expelled from Rome, they weren't expelled from the empire. They were expelled from the capital city by Claudius. This happened occasionally. And they were Jews. And they found their way to Corinth and they found Paul. This lets us know a few things just by the nature of what we are told here in Acts. First of all, as far as we know at this point in time in church history, no apostles had made their way. And those are those, those, those core followers of Jesus Christ had made their way to the capital city of Rome. And yet the church was thriving there. And what that tells us is, is everyday people 
were up there preaching the message of Jesus Christ. And it was making a big impact within that city. So much so that it caught the attention of Claudius. And he kicks these Jewish Christians out of the capital of Rome. So that's one thing we know about them. They are believers. They are quite knowledgeable, as we'll see in some verses and some chapters to come. And on top of that, these two are bold. I mean, by the end of chapter 18, beginning of chapter 19, we'll see just how bold this husband-wife team are. Okay, not only that, they have the same, share the same trade as the Apostle Paul. Not only that, as we will see in, in, in our study to come, they would become lifelong friends of the Apostle Paul. Okay, so we've got Paul, he's here in Corinth, and he gets his first shot of encouragement here in the form of this couple that he not only shares a lot in common with, occupation, Jesus, but he also shares a friendship with him that will last a lifetime. Um, Paul has a practice when he would come into towns, and we read about this in Acts and also in the other other epistles, letters in the New Testament. When he would come to a new city, if it was at all possible, he would work while he was there. He would make no money from preaching the gospel. That's not how he operated. He wanted nothing to get in the way of people and Jesus. So this would lead him to working throughout the day and preaching whenever he could. Um, And this isn't something that was just known with Paul. Actually, the the Jews, the rabbis, as well as the scribes were encouraged to do this. And Paul was a Pharisee before he was a believer, before he was a Christian. And they were also told, don't earn a living with your teaching. Earn a living with your hands and let your teaching stand on its own. And that's exactly what Paul did. And that's what he's doing in Corinth. Let's continue on. So he gets his first shot of encouragement from Priscilla and Aquila. Verse 4, it says this, And he was reasoning in the synagogue every Sabbath, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. We've seen this before. When Paul comes into a town, comes into a city, if there's a synagogue there, remember it takes ten Orthodox Jewish men to be a big enough group to have a synagogue in a town or a city. So that's where he goes first. Those are the people who should respond to the message of the Jewish Messiah, Jesus Christ. So that is where he would go in Corinth as well. Not only would you have Jews there, you would have God-fearers there. No, that's just a fancy name for Gentiles who had kind of fallen in line with the Jewish faith. All right? So you go and preach to them. And then we see some more, there's some more shots of encouragement coming here. Look at verse 5. Silas and Timothy have been AWOL here for a little bit, doing other things. Verse 5. But when Silas and Timothy, his traveling companions... Came down from Macedonia, Paul began devoting himself completely to the word, solemnly testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. So, Silas, all right, Silas and Timothy show up, and they bring some really good news. Now, we talked about this a few weeks ago, but remember, it wasn't that long ago that Paul and Silas and Timothy were in the town of Thessalonica preaching the gospel. They didn't get to do it very long, and the people kicked them out of town. The Jews kicked them out of town, caused an uproar. Right, so they had to leave. And on Paul's mind, constantly night and day were those brand new baby believers there in Thessalonica. And he didn't have the opportunity to stick around and teach them. And it drove him crazy, wondering how they were doing. Well, guess what? Silas and Timothy could go back to Thessalonica. And that is one of the places they went. And we read this when we read 1 Thessalonians. And when they met up with Paul in Corinth, guess what they told him? Man, they're doing awesome there in Thessalonica. They're young believers, but they are living their faith out. They're preaching the gospel. They're doing it all, Paul. And Paul is so encouraged by this. But something else happens. 
Silas and Timothy show up, and look what Paul does. He stops doing, he stops doing the tent making, the leather working thing. Okay? Which he was more than a tent maker. He was a leather worker. All right? And I, you, I know what you're thinking. Well, poor Silas and Timothy had to go start doing it. You know, That's not exactly what took place. When you read in 2 Corinthians, and when you read in Paul's letter to the Philippian church, that's another place that Silas and Timothy visited. And while they were there, guess what those incredible Philippian believers did? They took a collection to be given to Paul to support his ministry. So when they came, he got the encouragement not only of, of the words that his brothers and sisters in these other towns are doing well, they bring money so that Paul can devote himself completely, completely to preaching the gospel. So he gets his second shot of encouragement, he gets his third shot of encouragement. Paul gets a break a little bit and he starts preaching the gospel like crazy in that synagogue. And guess what? <laughs> Some of what happens in other synagogues happens here as well. I'm telling you, life of an athlete, it's not always great. Just ask the KU and K-State football players this week. It's not always great, all right? There's some good times, there's some bad times, all right? So what we got going on here is Paul continues to preach the gospel there in Corinth, preaching at the synagogue, and guess what? It, with the exception of those synagogue attenders in Berea, chapter 17, those ones who were noble-minded, who wanted to hear the message and receive the message of the gospel with gladness and excitement. Most times, the majority of them reject the message. Most times, they cause Paul enough trouble that he's got to relocate. Many times, he's got to leave the town like he did Thessalonica. Well, that happens in Corinth, fortunately, he doesn't have to relocate very far. So let's take a look at it. Verses 6 and 7. But when they resisted, this is the Jews in the synagogue, and blasphemed, he shook out his garments and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I am clean. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Then he left there and went to the house of a, name, of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God, whose house was in the next city. Is that what your Bible says? No, his house that was next to what? Next to the synagogue. <laughs> so he does have to relocate. He just doesn't have to go too far. Because right next door to the synagogue is a guy's house, and it must have been a pretty big house, and the guy is a God-fierce. What's that mean? He's a Gentile. He's not a Jew. He's a Gentile. But he believed in the God of the Jews. And guess what? Now, he believed the message of the gospel. He believed in Jesus Christ. His name was Titius Justice, and he said, you come into my home. He said, people who are coming to the synagogue, all they got to do is take a right about 15 feet before they get to the synagogue, and we can keep preaching the gospel there. And we'll learn a little bit more about this Titius Justice guy before it's all said and done, okay? But first of all, do you catch what happens in verse 8? Look at it. You talk about encouraging Crispus, okay, it's not a cereal, all right? This is a guy, okay? All right. Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, believed in the Lord with all his household, and many of the Corinthians, when they heard, were believing and being baptized. Who believes the message of the gospel? Not just any synagogue attender, the leader of the synagogue. When Paul is kicked out of the synagogue, Guess who goes with him? 
the leader of the synagogue, and not just him, his whole family. Let me tell you something about a synagogue in a place like Corinth, a prosperous place like Corinth. You got a guy leaving a position quite lucrative, but he hears the truth. He says the money doesn't mean truth. And he and his family leave the synagogue. I mean, that is a sign of incredible maturity on the part of a man and his family. And once again, if you look closely and read through this, it says many of these Corinthians, they believed and they were baptized. And once again, in the Acts record here, we see this connection between faith and water, faith and baptism. Brothers and sisters, there are some good things happening in Corinth. Some really good. Paul's new center of operations, it's only 25 feet away from the old one. He's in the house of Titius Justice now. A little bit about this Titius Justice guy, that's his Roman name. But as we looked at a number of weeks ago, Roman names, you get three of them, much like us. We got a first name, a middle name, and a last name, right? I think all of us probably have that. Okay, so back then they had something very, very similar when it came to their official Roman name. Well, we only get the second two here. The first one, right, was Gaius. How do we know that? Because when we look at Paul's letter written to the Roman church while he's in Corinth, he's staying at his center of operations, the house of Gaius. So, and what you have here is the Apostle Paul read in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul baptized this guy with his own hands. He didn't do that with everybody, but he did it with some. So this guy is something else. Folks, there are good things happening in Corinth. They're off and running here. But when we see what happens next, it shows us something. It shows us that for some odd reason, Paul is holding back a little bit. The Apostle Paul who we try to put on the pedestal, okay, which he would have none of that. He said that pedestal is reserved for Jesus Christ alone, all right? Paul is holding back. He's holding back. What did I tell you good coaches do? They get their team to give what? Just a little more. Just give, just give a little more here. So Paul has already received some encouragement. But for some reason, he needs a little more and he's about to get an incredibly big shot of encouragement. So if God's going to speak to the Apostle Paul, which he's going to, what's he going to do? Is he going to send a prophet to him? Because you'll see Agabus do that here in a few chapters. Um, Is he going to send an angel to him? That happens to Paul before. An angel of God shows up. and I mean, angels get people's attention, right? I mean, my goodness, when an angel shows up. No, it won't be a prophet. It won't be an angel. Let's see who shows up. Verse 9. And the Lord. Catch that. And the Lord said to Paul in the night by a vision, Do not be afraid any longer, but go on speaking, and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no man will attack you in order to harm you, for I have Many people in this city. It was no angel. It was no prophet. Who came to talk to Paul? Christ Jesus himself. He shows up. Can you imagine getting encouragement like that? And look what he says to him. He says, Paul, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid any longer. To me, Paul didn't look like he's afraid, okay? But Christ knows the heart. 
And he knew that Paul's holding back here a little bit. And he says, don't be afraid. He says, go on speaking. It discourages me. I got to be honest with you, brothers and sisters. That, that I read of the writings of some and the teachings of some who, who somehow try to minimize the legitimate legitimacy and the power of God's plan to work through his people. Saying, well, God's got it all under control. What do we need to talk about? Why do we need to preach the message? God can take care of it. Because God works through his people. That's why. Romans 10, faith comes by hearing. And the Apostle Paul goes on to say, how will they hear if there's no preacher? There's no one speaking. And let me tell you something, brothers and sisters, don't let your mind go to preacher there where you want it to go because it's not talking about somebody in the middle of the United States of America standing on a stage. Every one of us who are followers of Jesus are preachers Messengers of the gospel, that is what we are called to, every single one of us. And Jesus tells Paul, go on speaking. Speak the message. I'm with you. Don't you understand, Paul? I'm the one speaking. You speak, I'm speaking with you. I am there. And then he goes on with this little, this little detail. Paul didn't get this in every city you went to, all right? Jesus says, nobody in this city is going to attack you. By this point in time, Paul is a little over halfway through the second missionary journey. And he's already been attacked again and again and again. But Jesus says, in this town, in this place, it's not going to happen. Nobody's going to touch you. And as we will see next week, Jesus makes good on that promise very, very quickly. And then Jesus wraps it up with this message to Paul. He says, I have many people in this city. And Paul, they need to hear the message. Make no mistake, people, there is a lesson there. God's people play a needed role when it comes to others coming to Jesus Christ. We are told to present the gospel. Jesus came, he died, he was buried, and he arose, and he lives, and he's coming again. And God changes this world yet today through his people speaking the truth. And if Paul needed an encouragement to do that at times, what's that probably say about us? And look what Paul does as a result. Verse 11. And he settled there a year and six months. Teaching the word of God among them. Paul took that huge dose of encouragement and went to work. A year and a half in that frustrating but fruitful city. Okay. Those of you who have sat in Wednesday night. Through the first Corinthians class took us about a year and a half. Speaking of a year and a half, it took us about a year and a half to get through first Corinthians, all right? Second Corinthians, a little bit shorter. We might make it in a year. We'll see. But what you find out is there is some frustration there, okay? There is a little bit. 
But Paul was encouraged by his Lord himself to be his messenger in that place. Brothers and sisters, the timing of the Lord is impeccable. You'd almost think that he's in control of stuff. You know what I mean? <laughs> his timing is impeccable in the big things and even in the small things. All right? Okay? And we find ourselves on 1-1 of 2023 right here in this passage of Scripture. Perfect, perfect time. You know, when I think of the book of Acts, I told you many times, I've even told you today, I think of history. I like history. I've always been a fan of history. As we started today, taking it clear once again, this is not just history, it's our history as the people of God in this world. But history isn't confined to what happened centuries ago. Today is the first day of 2023. And many of our minds are, are focused on what comes next. How much of our minds is focused on history? Because that is 2022 now. You realize that, right? There's nothing we can do to go change those events. It's beyond our ability. It's done. It is written. It is history. And how was your 2022? When it comes to representing Jesus Christ in this world. If I were to have you and me, myself, if, if we were to take a, a notebook and we were to write down what we did for the Lord and for his kingdom in 2022, would you fill the page up? Would there be anything on mine? What about yours? I mean, after all, God's plan hasn't changed. You, you realize that, right? I mean, God still works through his people. So how did God work through you in 2022? What about 2023? There's nothing we can do now about 2022. And I know, I know some of you in this room would have some things on that page when it comes to 2022. I also know that a good coach, I'm not talking about me, I'm talking about our ultimate coach, would probably encourage us to give just a little more for him. It is interesting. It's where we started this today. I mean, it is mind-blowing. I, I am not going to stand here and tell you how much Bill Self gets paid every year because there's already enough of you who don't like KU, okay? But my goodness, he's the highest-paid collegiate basketball coach in the nation. I'll just leave it at that, all right? I tend to think he's a pretty good coach, right? And usually good coaches get paid quite well on that level. Jesus is different from anybody, though. 
I mean, he's not just a coach, he's Lord and Savior. But here's the thing. To, to earn that position, he paid the price. He paid the price with his blood. I mean, to, get, to be in that position that he is as Lord and Lord, Lord of Lords, King of Kings. He, the writer of Hebrews tells us he earned that position, he earned that right through the things in which he suffered. He learned obedience by the things in which he suffered. He paid the price. The ultimate price to put himself into the position to say to us, his people, do not be afraid. Let's give a little Here's a question. New Year's resolutions. We hear a lot about those this time of year, do we not? New Year's resolutions. You might have already made one. If you have, I'm not telling you to discard it, okay? I'm telling you to add to it. And if you have not yet made a New Year's resolution and you are a follower of Jesus Christ, there is no better New Year's resolution than to put ourselves at the disposal of our Lord, our coach, if you will, and say Hear him saying these words to you. Do not be afraid any longer. Don't be afraid any longer. I have many people. Fill in the blank. What are you going to write in there? For Paul, it was I have many people in this city. I don't think he's telling, I don't, now don't get me wrong, I don't think he's going to tell anybody in this room to go to Corinth. Because he has many people in that city. But I do think he might say that maybe about a different place in your life. What about the refinery? Do not be afraid. Speak the truth. I am with you. I have many people in this refinery. I have many people at Phillips. I have many people at the hospital. I have many people at John Deere. Students, you're not out of this, okay? Teachers as well. I, I have many people at Community Elementary. I have many people at Lincoln Elementary. I have many people at Coffeyville High School. I have many people at Independence High School. I have, I have many people at Caney Valley High School. I have many people. Do not be afraid any longer. Speak the truth. Faith comes by hearing. How will they hear if there's no preacher? 